Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Uh, so the uh, Arizona Coyotes did a survey on Twitter today, Sat. Did you see this? I saw. Um, yes, they are still the Arizona Coyotes for now. Your uh, computer speaker is playing. Oh, is it playing yeah. something? Yeah, oh, there you go. My bad. Yeah. I was listening to Henrik Lundqvist wax poetic <laughs> about uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, the Coyotes asked their Twitter following, Pack, as in, uh, I guess, the Wolf Pack. Yes. Uh, we want to hear from you. Where should the Coyotes build our new home? Mesa, Scottsdale, Chandler, or Gilbert? And the lead is the write-in votes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they got over 44,000 votes. They did. and like how Getting many... ratioed a little bit. Yes. But, I mean, honestly, I, I thought it was smart for them to do because it creates so much buzz around it and was yes. ratioing them, but everyone's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. At least that's something for the Arizona Coyotes. Not a lot of dubs uh, lately for them, especially this week. It is uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We bring you the Stanley Cup playoffs here on Sportsnet 650. So let's dive into the Western Conference final a little bit more with Golden Knights reporter for the Las Vegas Sun. It is Danny Webster joining us here on Canuck Central. Thanks for this, Danny. How are you? Uh, of course, guys. Doing well. How are you? Uh, we're doing we're doing pretty well. Uh, Vegas into their fourth conference final in their six years of existence. Um, it's like, do you just expect this to happen every year now? You know, your book through May at least. Well, you know, I mean, if you talk to a lot of people before the season, I don't think even a lot of people <laughs> expected them to make it out of first round. And and honestly, a lot of people I don't even think expected them to even get past Winnipeg for that for fact of that matter. But no, it's definitely been, I think, a, a a true testament to what this group has been able to do, rebounding after missing the playoffs last year. They had a full off season to get healthy and get revamped and ready to go for what was expected to be a really important season uh, for this franchise. And they they passed it with flying colors, top seed in the West, and now they're four wins away from getting back to the Cup Finals. So uh, it it should be expected, but I think after the way the last 12, 13 months uh, transpired. I don't think anybody uh, would have been completely surprised, but I wouldn't have been shocked if they were either. Yeah, and I mean, the thing too about this organization is just how they've been able to push the envelope year in and year out. I mean, I think the first year they go on this incredible run, but their commitment to that type of excellence, I mean, even though they haven't won the Stanley Cup yet, I think it has been the right path, despite the fact they missed the playoffs last year. Hasn't it always go out to try to get the best players available? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it only looks good if the results test, right? And I think when you look at how last year transpired, they make the big moves to go get Jack Eichel. They don't have him for two months. And then in the t- in, in that time span, they're having to deal with Mark Stone and his ailing back. And then Max Pacioretty misses almost the entire second with injuries. So it, it was a whole bunch of a mess. Uh, that the Golden Knights have to deal with. But it, it, when the, when this team is healthy, they've proven they're one of the top teams uh, in the NHL. And, and, of course, being one of the Final Four, that's that's proven that fact. Um, and, it, of course, it has the big guys that are at the forefront of it. Mark Stone, obviously, back and healthy uh, is a huge plus for them. Jack Eichel, I think, probably had the best complete season of his career. Alex Petrangelo has obviously been – you know, their number one defenseman for the last few years now. So if if the big guys stay healthy, this team is as tough to beat as any in the entire league. 
You know, you mentioned Jack Eichel, and especially in a year where we saw so much more scoring, we saw some guys put up well over 100 points this year, and there's Eichel. He was at a point a game, but 66 points in 67, not exactly a league-leading scorer, and yet I think his season has gone way under the radar, as you just mentioned. What, like, what have you seen in his game, and especially in that Edmonton series, what was so special about the way that he played? So the one thing that has stood out to me and Bruce Cassidy has been very complimentary uh, about Jack for this particular thing. His commitment to the defensive zone, I think, has gone vastly underrated. We obviously know what he can do in the offensive zone when he has the puck on his stick, when he has his long stick and he's using it to weave through traffic in the offensive zone and he knows what to do on that end. His commitment to defense, the Golden Knights were only going to get as far as they were going to go as long as Jack Eichel centering that top line was going to be committed defensively, and he's been doing that. And when you talk about the Edmonton series, the the one the two lines you'll look at, obviously, are the Stevenson line with Stone on there and William Carlson's line, and he's, all, he's obviously been one of the best two-way players uh, in the NHL the last number of years. And obviously when you get Stone back, it aids to that defensive aspect as well. The, Jack's line, I think, was probably the most underrated in terms of defensive play. And I, and I know it seems like it's not that difficult to do when you're playing a team that's rolling 11-7 and seven every night. But the fact that he was hustling on the back check, he looked aggressive in that area, and just his commitment to playing winning hockey, which this is the first time that anyone is seeing him do that on this stage. And I think the fact that not only did he, in numbers sense, outplay Connor McDavid at five on five, the fact that he was so committed to the defensive end and made big plays, got his stick on pucks, and just made a difference in that aspect is, a, is something that I don't think a lot of people anticipated going into this year. But that's been the one area where he's excelled above everywhere else. And the fact that he was a point per game, if he doesn't miss those 16, uh, 15, 16 games, we could be talking about an 80-point guy in that sense, and then playing as well as he did on the defensive end. Well, and you know, you mentioned that commitment to the way they've played, and and obviously you have to give the individual individual players a lot of credit. But how much of that also goes hand in hand with what Bruce Cassidy has been preaching all year long? Oh yeah, absolutely. Bruce is, you know, it, to me it's still kind of a shocking situation that he wasn't. Uh, a, a finalist for the Jack Adams. I know that there's, you know, when you look at Dave Haxall and what Lindy Ruff and Jim Montgomery have done, the, like, like I mentioned earlier, the Golden Knights really weren't expected to be a real contender this year based on the health of their goaltending. They had no idea with the situation with Robin Leonard, if Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill were going to be able to supplement that. And not only did they do that with two goalies, they ended up doing it with five. And they've had to adjust accordingly with how they play in front of the goalie, no matter who it is. And the defensive structure, it's, a, it's always been a goalie-friendly system. That was the one thing that, that Bruce Cassidy preached when he got here is that it's going to be a goalie-friendly system. They're going to try and keep teams to the outside. They're not going to allow many slot chances. There are going to be no real high-danger chances. And that has all been one giant uh, cornucopia of just how good Bruce Cassidy's system has been with this group. This group has bought in to what they've wanted to do all year. And 
And to their credit, that's why they were able to tie a franchise record in wins and be the top seed in the West and have home ice advantage for this very reason. So what's the difference in, in going from Edmonton and just doing everything you possibly can to slow down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and at times being willing to, you know, just sort of take on pressure in some of those games against Edmonton to the game plan now versus Dallas, who's, you know, a very defensive oriented team. They don't make a ton of mistakes. Um, how does the game plan change going from Edmonton to Dallas now? Well, the way the way that the the players in the locker room are looking at it, they see it as you go from two really big, well, without saying two of the best players in the world, um, two of the best players in the world. Now you go into facing Dallas, who has a top line that is probably, arguably, the best top line in the league right now with with Hintz, Robertson, and Pavelski, and just the way that they control the, the the pace of the game throughout their shifts. And then it trickles down to, you know, the likes of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. And then you have young players like Wyatt Johnson making an impact. This is a more complete team as far as 12-6 goes, but a Pete DeBoer coach team has always relied on four lines and 3D, uh, 3D pairs, much like what Vegas does. But it, it's very familiar to what Vegas has known for the last three years. So now you're dealing with a monster that has more depth and has more dangerous scoring ability. Obviously Robertson's uh, goal tally hasn't been that great in the playoffs, but you just have to figure that he's going to break out at some point. And with the postseason that Hintz has had, you know, that that's another monster that the Golden Knights are going to have to deal with. So it, it's not on the complete level of what Edmonton does but they're more well-rounded and the dangerous players can make plays really at any time. You mentioned Peter DeBoer and, you know, he was a Vegas Golden Knights head coach for three years, two successful runs getting to the third round, but obviously last year uh, missing the playoffs. But is, is there any sense of, you know, bad blood or interesting storylines or anything here between uh, his former team and, and his new team? You know, I, I actually just got out of the, the Stars press conference and, you know, you get the sense from Pete that he's kind of moved on from this ever since the whole situation happened in the summer. He's fully committed to the Dallas Stars and what he's done there. I don't get a sense that there is, like, bad blood, definitely not from the Vegas side and definitely not from the Dallas side. But I do get a sense, knowing Pete, and I and I talked to him last summer about this it was about two months after he got fired and it you got the sense talking to him that he wanted to prove a lot of people wrong whether it be himself whether it be the Golden Knights organization no matter where it was he was itching to get back and just getting the sense of listening to you know what he still wants to accomplish which is still win a Stanley Cup and that would probably cement a legacy that would put him in the Hall of Fame at some point one day he has he is someone that definitely is driven to win and I think the fact that it just so happens that the hockey gods have created the narrative one more time that he has to face the Golden Knights again this time as the opposing coach coming over from coaching them for the last three years and coming within one round of getting to the final twice I, I definitely get a sense that for him he wants to win this and he wants to get back to the final and he wants to get a chance to win so I think it's just the combination of the narrative and how they 
and how this is all playing out, just the, the irony in this whole situation. You know, there's been, a, I think, a, a few unheralded players on, on this Vegas team, and uh, one of them is also Shea Theodore, uh, you know, BC kid uh, from up here, uh, these parts. But um, what, do you, what do you make of, of Shea Theodore's game and, and just how, uh, how he's played for Vegas? Uh, right now, I would say that he has not looked at Shea Theodore form. Um, and, and, you know, fortunately for the Golden Knights, they've been able to rely on their defense for the entirety of this playoffs, and they played a collected, well-rounded game. But Shea Theodore has been battling injuries uh, dating back to the end of the regular season. Um, and obviously within the Winnipeg series, he didn't play in the clinching game five. Uh, going against Edmonton, he really struggled at trying to establish a forecheck against McDavid and Dreisaitl. And, you know, for someone who is a good puck mover, someone who is a good distributor as Shea Theodore is, uh, that that wasn't his game uh, in the Edmonton series. Unfortunately, they were able to find a way to get the production from the blue line without Shea Theodore. Um, but I do think going into a series like this, where you guys had mentioned this is going to be a very tough series as far as Dallas and how well-rounded they are, how defensive-oriented they are, this is going to have to be a big series for Shea Theodore, I think, in both the offensive aspects and the defensive aspects in terms of seeing if he can get to a full game. Because if he can get to back to where his form has been, the, the Golden Knights are in really good shape with how well Petrangelo is playing up top and Hagen White are playing well in the third pair. So if he can find his form for this series, it's going to be a huge game changer, I think, for the Golden Knights, and I think they're definitely going to need it. As far as goaltending is concerned, I mean, it hasn't been an issue all year. I mean, every single goalie they've they've had has had a save percentage above 900. Even, you know, Jonathan Quick, everybody else has been fantastic anytime they've been in the pipes for this team. But how much confidence do they truly have in Aiden Hill, whose numbers have been sparkling, whether it's the postseason or the regular season, since he got to Vegas? Yeah, they, they have a lot of confidence no matter who's in net. And I, and I think the fact that they have as much confidence in Aiden Hill after how he performed since coming in for Bersois in Game 3, I think speaks volumes. He, this is a guy who's never been in the playoffs, never even sniffed the playoffs before, not even as a backup. And the fact that he was able to come in in Game 3, shut the Oilers out for two and a half periods, and then respond that with a really good Game 5 and then a masterful Game 6 on the road in Edmonton. Uh, Laurent Bersois played extremely well going into the postseason and he had some really big moments going forward but kind of what I alluded to earlier no matter who is in net for this team they all find a way to make it comfortable for that goalie and the fact that Aiden Hill played as well as he did in game six and shutting the door after giving up those two early ones I think it says a lot about not only the confidence that the, the team as a whole is playing right now after the way that he performed but knowing that he's going to go into game one tomorrow as a starter, and if he can continue to play at a reasonable level, that's going to be a good thing for the Golden Knights going into the series. Danny, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, there is Danny Webster covering the Vegas Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun as that series gets started tomorrow. And... A theme maybe through and uh, at Danny Webster twenty one is where you can follow him on Twitter. The uh, uh, maybe a theme through the Stanley Cup playoffs at build a team that gives a goalie that creates a goalie friendly environment. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I know you need the players who can do it. But yes. I think the coaching that can get the players to buy in and be committed matters. You know, like, you know, I was having this discussion off air with Bick yesterday. We were talking about coaching strategies. And in soccer, the manager is such a huge part of team success. Yes. I mean, you make one strategic mistake or one tactical decision or put one player in a wrong spot, it can cost you the game. You you play Kuzmenko on the third line instead of the top line. You might still win the hockey game. It's not going to make that, you know, it may not make mm-hmm. that big a difference. And unless, unless you really shoot yourself in the foot, there aren't little things you can do that could really cost yourself a game typically speaking in hockey whereas in soccer with man management so many things yeah. factor in but for you to get a group of players 18 skaters consistently to buy into how to play to have the energy to have the mental fortitude and a commitment to do the right things and play within that discipline and have the motivation throughout the season go through the ebbs and flows of a season and yeah. not let things fall apart it's managing people and it's getting people to perform at a at an extremely high level, not only performance-wise, like physically, but also mentally and how you think. Coaches that can get players wired in like that make a difference. Yep. It's hard to sustain more than a few years. That's why you see coaches change over really quickly in hockey and everything. But I, I think it's undoubtedly true this year. Look at the teams and how they're being coached and how they're playing. Yeah. Rod Brindamore is probably the best coach in the league at doing it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about Carolina so much, just the way they play, how they play, how they've consistently got buy-in. But it it works, right? And they throw a bunch of guys into their forward group, and they still play the same way. They still play mistake Mostly mistake-free hockey. They dump the puck in a bunch. They get in hard on the forecheck. You know, they just... The term that uh, we used so much at the end of the Canucks season was live to see another shift type of thing, right? And, you know, instilling a mentality into your team that really understands and knows when it is the right time to take risks and when it isn't, and they live to that sort of mentality... It can go and will go yeah. a long way in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and it can be boring sometimes, mm-hmm. right, in terms of how a team plays. But that's how you're going to have success now. When you're seeing a more open ice, more goal scoring, you know, more loose hockey, Yeah, who are the teams that can have the advantage? Are the teams that play differently, Yeah, that don't allow that type of hockey to happen? And then how does a team respond that's now not allowed to play the way they normally want to play? Yeah, it... Uh really changes things up yeah and uh that's where we're at with the stanley cup playoffs now um coming up we're going to send you to raleigh north carolina at pnc arena where you are not allowed to step on the florida panthers logo in the visitor locking room locker room what yeah they they brought out like a big carpet they put it in the middle of the the visitors locker room with the panthers logo on it with the panthers logo on it and they were scolding reporters today that may have uh, stepped onto the uh, onto the logo. So wait, wait, let me get this straight. <laughs> they were mad at visiting at media in the visiting room because they were stepping on the Florida Panthers logo. Yes. Why were they not covering up the logo in the visiting room? They they put the they, well. They put it down. They put it down. They put like a rubber mat down in the middle of the small visitors' locker room. And we're like, don't step on this. And apparently, it takes up like the essentially most. the whole room. <laughs> so how do you? How do you? Who do they? are scolding media for stepping on yes. it. Yes. What about the opposition players? Are they scolding them too? No. 
<laughs> There's no opposition players in the visitor's locker room. So, th- so that's not happening. That's like painting somebody into the corner and then getting mad at them for getting paint <laughs> on their shoes. It's like, what's, it's not you painting me into the corner. What do you want me, want me to do? Yes. Am I not supposed to leave? Am I stuck? Well, that's what I'm kind of thinking. Like, visitor yeah. locker rooms are generally pretty small. So, yeah. you know, and if you have, especially on the Eastern Conference Finals, you're going to have some traveling media there covering that series. Don't step on the, don't step on the logo. Are you supposed to be hugging the players? Yes. <laughs> Get really close. Yeah, would the player scrums. rather you step on their toes or step on the logo? Yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. This is just so that the Florida Panthers can blame the media for eventually losing the series. So, so wait, how did they get mad? Was <laughs> it was like their PR people yelling at I media? Guess so. I is that know. what happened? I don't know if there was yelling involved. Scolding, I think, was the word uh, Wyshynski used. Wyshynski used the word scolding. Yeah, I'm sure it's relatively lighthearted <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean in florida nowadays i guess i mean listen i, mean, I don't know like from previous experience it's not always lighthearted with these types of things mm. there's a lot of things you can and can't do yeah. but in florida you don't step on the panthers logo <laughs> in the visiting locker room it's uh dan richo these and- people need to get a light <laughs> it's dan richo and satyar shah coming up uh, we'll send you to the eastern conference finals as that gets going Tonight, you can watch it on Sportsnet as well. For producers Ben and Josh, intern Ryan, my co-host Sad, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.